From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Chrissy Juno Man is a UK-based embroidery practitioner and teacher with world-class skills and a fantastic storytelling ability. If you missed the first part of our interview last week, dial back and listen to that first and then enjoy this episode where, among other things, we talk about Chrissy's phenomenal adventures that she had after she left university, which, honestly, hilarious, and we find out what her favourite book is, her favourite podcast, and also we talk about one of the creative challenges that she's got with her business, something we're able to like go through and kind of feel out. It's very rewarding to be able to talk with Chrissy and see, you know, it's quite hard to talk to someone and go, so what's going wrong with your business? But that's not what we do. We just sort of talk about the practicalities of business. You know, Needle Exchange is here to try and help you as creative people if you want to move forward and, and turn your passion into a business, then Needle Exchange is on a mission to help you feel good about that and help you feel confident. And sometimes talking about issues like email newsletters or which marketing channels to use is is something that is important, you know, something I'm interested in and it's something I want to talk about as well. So we have a good dive around with Chrissy there. As I say, she's so good to talk to. I love talking to her. And her work is fantastic. So if you've not seen her work, go and find her on social media and just regale at her ability to combine unusual subject matter with world-class needlework. Chrissy's great. I love talking to her. I'd love to know your feedback. Feel free to leave a comment on the Mr. X Stitch Instagram or just drop me a line hello at needle without the e dot exchange and let me know what you think thank you for being here it's great to be part of your world and i'll be back next week with a brand new interview with another fantastic needleworker so until then enjoy the show so you you went to uni and what did you study at uni then you said you talk about oh, doing a lot of writing and stuff what were you studying i did american literature <laughs> Yeah, I know. it was because I wanted to combat my dyslexia with a literature. I thought I really hate it when people say you can't do things. You know, it's like yes, I can. I'm <laughs> sure like, you. In fact, I struggled all the way through. You know, we'll just pass over that. I got there. That's the main thing. So yeah, I did American literature. I also got a year in America, but that appealed to my travel bug. You know, so I ended up studying for a year in America. So I lived for a year in Colorado. But also, because I was a bit older, you can't hire a car in America when you're, you know, university age. But because I was older, I could hire a minibus, basically, and do all these road trips with people. And um, 
yeah, and I, I'd actually ended up going traveling with a girl who was about 18, and um, I was 30 at the time, and we just had a blast, you know. We went, she was really fluffy, she kept losing all our money, but, you know, we went to Mexico, and Guatemala, and Costa Rica, you know, and it was just really wow. fun. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm kind of adventurous like that. I do like an adventure. And, and when I came back, I felt like, when you go traveling, what is it? I was trying to think what I liked about traveling. And it's sort of, it is that little sort of, it's, you know, in essence, I kind of wanted to include, include some of that traveling aspect into my life. And it's that exploring of the new, isn't it, I think. And, um, and that sort of freedom where you don't have to be, who you are you can be someone else slightly and um so i ended up doing lots of micro adventures and i still do them now really like doing little mini micro adventures it might just be a day i think other people call them day trips i don't call them day trips <laughs> no micro adventures sounds really cool i call them micro adventures i'm always texting do you want to come on a micro adventure to a friend <laughs> not one of yours <laughs> so randy and i went to Gloucester not that long ago and i did dog sledding because I found somewhere you could do dog sledding with, you know, like tricycle thing. And she was like, um, Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this woman was like a leading um, dog sledder for the UK, winning awards. And yeah, so I went there and did a little bit of training. And that was really fun. So it's like these weird, random things. I just set off in the car, put it into the sat nav and just go and see all the day unfolds, really. <laughs> so I like that. So cool. That <laughs> That's so my cool. So, so, so where did where was the transition then from like American literature to the Royal School of Needlework? How did that come about? Did you, yeah. Well, the thing with Brighton, when you go to live in Brighton, you think you're going to have a normal life, and you go there thinking I'll do a nine to five, five days a week, and majority of people end up doing part time because they get too involved with all the other stuff like the beach and drink and drugs. <laughs> basically so allegedly I, yeah, allegedly i didn't get involved with the drinking <laughs> so much but i did basically go part-time so i actually got a job after university with sussex probation doing i used to run community service projects and they did all the hours in four days and that ruined me because then i had a three-day weekend and that i never <laughs> wanted again <laughs> So and I enjoyed it because it was really creative. I made it really creative. We did like sensory gardens and we did, you know, painting the Buddhist center. And uh, then they got a meditation session. I mean, all these big, burly, I don't want to be here offenders <laughs> with their, you know, 300 hours having to go and paint the Buddhist center or we went to an animal sanctuary. So it was all, st I sourced the projects and then I ran them twice a week with the group. So it was, it was, a learning curve, let's put it that way. But then <laughs> to do the whole tango, tango man, you know, and put them all in orange boiler suits, which wasn't really, I'm not really up for that. I was, you know, more about rehabilitation than, you know, uh, humiliation. <laughs> so I sort of changed direction. I went to Sussex University. But then, you know, because I've had these three days a week and I just kept doing art all this time. So I was still doing all these evening classes. And and then because I had three days, I was doing more and more art. Well, I wasn't going to get a full-time job. I ended up a part-time job. And then I ended up going traveling again. And then, um, oh, no, <laughs> it's not a great track record. <laughs> I've never really no, been. It's great. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> not been a brilliant employer even when i worked at sussex uni i used to sit near a window and they've got a thing called stammer park it was brilliant and my um manager was in another building so i used to say oh, i'm just off to see my manager and i used to go for a walk in the park because i hated being in an office so much i used to ring home and go what is the point of my life you know so, <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> i was like I'm destined to work for myself. I'm much more motivated working for myself. So, yeah, I went traveling and I went to Africa and I had an accident, basically. So I had a riding accident in Africa, which was, it's quite comedy, to be honest. I got my foot caught in a stirrup and I got dragged like a, you know, like mm -hmm. a yeah, no. it was really serious. I could have been killed so easily. But um, 
We laugh now. We laugh. Exactly. Fortunately, the stirrup broke. My body concertinaed. I, you know, was sort of on the ground and I got surrounded by about, I don't know, 50 Africans. And then they were jumping in and hitting my side. And basically, they were trying to restore my, you know, revive my spirit or something. But um, basically, in among all of that, my my ribs were broken. <laughs> they were hitting broken ribs. Oh, and, and I was trying to go, Argh! and um, <laughs> punctured my lung as well. So, yeah, I ended up, well, I ended up self-caring, really. Um, mm. And somebody's home with an amazing Great Dane who just wouldn't leave my side. And then I paid some about 100 American dollars to take me to the capital because I was going to fly home and they haven't got any petrol a petrol shortage so pushing the car up the hill freewheeling down it's like I'm still here <laughs> anyway <laughs> then I randomly it was a moment of kindness it was the only kind of um the only moment I've had where I thought maybe there is a god because <laughs> I'm not really I'm not a believer mm-hmm spiritual and it's the poorest of the poor road sweeper i'm just there by this curb kind of starting to cry because i couldn't lift my bag and my ribs and i just and she came and just stood by me with her broom and held my hand and it was just you know it just broke my heart slightly um and we must have been so weird and then a man came up to me and he said are you okay and he turned out to be an orthopedic surgeon from south africa i was in a malaria and he said you know he was with his wife he said would you like me to look at your injuries and i said yes and um so i bound myself with a sarong that's all i'd done that was just bound and he said i think you know you've got um blood in your lung and you need an operation i said well don't worry i'm going to fly tomorrow and he was like you cannot get on a plane because it will kill you and it was such a weird moment where you know all yeah. these random things came to play so he settled me into a hospital but it was that was a nightmare it was just a hard surface and relatives brought in food and water so there was nothing i got ended up being really delirious and he said whatever you do do not have an operation here. You've got to go to <laughs> or to South Africa because the risk of infection is too high. And, wow. and a top surgeon in this hospital came in and he had a little figure drawn on a board and he was like putting a cross. We are going to do an operation here. And I was like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> But fortunately, this guy, my guardian angel, really, he also kicked in my insurance. And um, finally, uh, a medical plane flew me to Kenya. And um, and I ended up in Kenya for two weeks having surgery, my lung drained. And then I got flown back to the UK. So anyway, that's a long story. You can edit that. Um, wow. <laughs> I know, it's so random. But I just didn't want to go back to work. I just thought, you know what, that was a bit of a near near miss for me. Um, Don't fancy work anymore. So I literally went in, told my boss I hated her and left. And I've never had a proper job since, really. And, um, yeah, I went off to the Lake District and lived in a um, youth hostel, like... (laughs) There were a couple of other dropouts there and uh, walked the hills and it, it sort of fixed my lungs and, you know, you know, revived my spirit. And uh, and then I just thought, I really only want to make things and do craft. And, and then I just sort of went back to my roots of what I really wanted to do, which was, you know, embroidery. Um, I did think it'd take about a year to sort myself out. It probably took more like eight <laughs> Right, okay. <laughs> well, maybe a little less than that, but it took quite a while. It wasn't quite as quick a process as that. But that's that's it in a nutshell. That's how I've ended up. I did do an MA in between. So I've got an MA in antique restoration and conservation. And um cool. I think that would be fun. You know, uh, I love mm. the idea of I did like working in a studio, but there was a recession on at the time as well and it was a, it was difficult with the hours getting work. But I worked on two English sleeping chairs from um, Tudor times, really, the 1600s. And they were from Holyrood House. So I was really fortunate because they were from the Royal Collection. 
and I had all these ideas about doing, you know, finding replica fabric and in doing all the, all the upholstery. But I ended up doing so much woodwork. I'm really good at woodwork now. Because um, they were really... When they said Royal Collection and they said, you know, English sleeping chairs, I just thought, mm, it's going to be a bit like a throne. And um, a bit of gilt, you know, be a bit bling, be lovely. Anyway, they got them out the truck. And they're, honestly, they looked like they'd lived in a, a bush for, you know, 400 years. <laughs> they were like hideous. And they disgustingly dirty and I thought oh, I don't really like them <laughs> but anyway those massive monsters I ended up working on so yeah I kind of don't know if I quite enjoyed my MA but uh, it was interesting and there was lots of learning and there was lots of making so all that was nice but um, and I guess but, it yeah. all it all accumulates doesn't it it all adds up to something you know you've got that because I, I suppose as well doing the work with the RSN like even now you're still doing it and they do a lot of conservation work don't they so yeah they do exactly but I don't work in the studio I mean I live a little bit far away and um, mm. it's probably not my my favorite thing to do really um, I haven't got the mm. interest um, mending older things as I have in making new decorative things. I prefer that, really. Mm. That is how I ended up going to um, the RSM, because then I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do this MA, you know, follow it through completely, but what is related? And then, yeah, I ended up just going back to my roots, which, you know, it takes a lifetime sometimes to discover what you want to do, doesn't it? <laughs> So I mean, it's like, amazing it's amazing to think you know you did your ten thousand hours probably by the time you're about 13 or something like that you know i love that it was clearly i mean when you when you got back into it when you started doing the stuff at the rsn did you like feel like you were back in the right space again yeah i did actually yeah i just always i just took to it i just i just don't get bored of it really i mean i do think you know it is i know i need to write an essay on whether embroidery is an addiction or an obsession you know which of those it is i think i think maybe it's a combination of the two because it's um you know i think because it's it's a meditative flow isn't it lots of people say oh it's like meditation but it's not meditation because meditation is stationary and internal breathing but a meditative flow where flow practice is where you do gentle movement all the time and it is that and that then releases dopamine and that's what you get from doing you know endurance sports or all those sort of things and it is and i think that's what everyone's slightly obsessed with I'm slightly obsessed with the kick you get from the dopamine you know that sort of keeps going oh i want to do more embroidery <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're completely right. Like I was I've been part of a running club and you see the people who run five, six times a week. And if they don't run for a little while or I even know it like I did a marathon years ago and you have to do so much running and you get so much endorphins from that that when you stop you you start to come down from it. And it's the same kind of thing with that, isn't it? It is a bit of an addiction to something that is good for you. It's it's yeah. it's a funny thing to have, but I think you're quite right. It just it's good for your soul. It just makes you feel good and you just want to do it all the time. Yeah, I really feel like if Sherlock Holmes was around, he would have been an embroiderer. You know, that's my feeling. Because he, you know, well he loved needles, didn't he? <laughs> he loved his opium. <laughs> and I just like you know that meticulous mind and that sort of uh structure he would have enjoyed the process a lot but also he was creative in the way he thought about problems so i feel and actually Co uh conan doyle isn't it the author he's actually buried in the new forest slightly random tenuous link there but i guess you can't choose but i wonder do you have a favorite needlework type was there stuff that you learned that really like really resonated things that you were so glad you kind of discovered i think um canvas is a comfort zone type work it does remind me it's very nostalgic it reminds me of my childhood um but i do really like a sort of slightly 3d piece um and i do like sort of fiddly little things i like all fingers and thumbs you know work so i do enjoy that um and I like it when people look at things and go, how did you do that? So I quite enjoy that little mm. buzz you know, that. Um, I wouldn't have thought I was a gold work person. I'm not very blingy. I'm quite a tomboy, really, and I'm very outdoorsy. 
um, but I do like a bit of gold, you know, it's a little, little highlight. So um, mm. that was a surprise to me that I liked gold work. Um, I can't remember what the question was, to be honest. <laughs> it's just, it was just if there are certain techniques that you like really kind of got excited by that kind of thing. Um, I guess stump work, uh, stump work, gold work combo probably is one that I really enjoy. Yeah. And then the sort of crawl work, you know, the Jacobean style and the canvas, a sort of more comfort zone, um, nostalgic feeling. Yeah. Hot chocolate. Do you prefer, do you prefer teaching those? Are there, you know, some techniques that are much more satisfying to teach because of what happens to the learner? I love teaching my Jacobean design. That is so fun. It's such a fun day and it's really interactive. And initially, when I first started, I'd sort of try and manage expectations and say to people, you know, okay, we're going to do a design. You know, not everyone's, a lot of people aren't, you know, even drawers, they feel, you know, and they're nervous about the class. So I was like, you know, it might not finish by the end of the day, all that sort of thing. Anyway, I don't say that anymore. By lunchtime, most of them are, you know, well on their way. They have an outline. They're sort of tucking in, and it's really amazing. By the end of the day, people have things, you know, really getting them down. They might need to fine-tune stuff, but they're really, really getting down to it. So, um, but I bombard them with a lot of images that they can draw on, you know, and inspire. So it's like a, the design days that I run are a bit like a saturation you get saturated and then yeah. you know regurgitate <laughs> so glamorous <laughs> but i love it because like at the start when we were saying you know how can you talk for five hours about a thing but i've i've got absolutely no doubt now <laughs> how you can do it because you'll just go someone will go i've been to africa and you go i've got a funny story about africa and 45 minutes later the course is the like the main backbone of how you like construct your business now is that is that kind of the main part yeah. of your living now yeah the courses are how i make money really um teaching um i do various types so i do retreats i'm actually going off to retreat in at the end of next week into wales to a castle um so it's a week you know where people come along and learn to stitch so that's with a different organization um, I'll do Marlborough College, go there. I'm doing two weeks retreat next year. Um, I'll go to the French Alps with creative experiences do a week there. So, yeah, that was, yeah, very that was nice. Very nice. Yeah, they're really lovely. Food's amazing. You know, it's just a really relaxed atmosphere to work in. And everyone wants to have a nice time because it's basically their holiday. So it always works out well. Um, so I like the retreats and then I do mainly Zoom. Before COVID, I was going more to do workshops. I was even going up to the RSN to work there, but I don't generally do that now. Basically, I'm sort of on the long arm of their Zoom. Um, and really, I do a lot of my own Zoom too. So um, COVID's kind of, I'm one of those businesses that COVID made really because it enabled me to not rely on others. I was, in, I was able to rely on myself for work. So I'm quite good at networking because I'm quite sort of chatty. <laughs> um, <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I, I can kind of get into places quite easily, sort of rock up and say, hiya. But, um, but I don't need to necessarily. And some places don't do that so much now anyway. So... Um, but yeah, Zoom and COVID kind of worked for me. Um, in fact, I really loved the COVID to start with. It was so nice just having that break from everything, wasn't it? <laughs> in a manner of speaking for many of us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, no, I think it's interesting. And I was always really proud. I had this conversation with them maybe yesterday or something. You know, even the RSN managed to pivot like a lot of these organizations covid forced their hand a bit but i was really pleased with the way they managed to do it because there's a lot of jeopardy you know even with like the embroiderers guild as well you know i know that they suffered a lot of losses of their members through covid but even yeah. they managed to 
pivot and when you're a quite long established organization like that it's not necessarily the easy thing to go suddenly we need to be able to deliver digital products like that but it's really yeah. nice to see them come out the other side of it you know and it's made um it's made me international that's what um, the other thing so you know like i have a stitch club that i run which is international and that's and they're, they're actually a brilliant support group too they're like my little community um and it's every other sunday and, and we're, we're doing a group project actually for the broderers exhibition so that'll be nice but you know it's in the morning for america or sweden it's in the afternoon a bit later you know but for the uk it's in the afternoon you know and it just enables you know so many people from around the world which is not something i never considered before really um being able to do and that sort of opened things up as well. So the other thing, I suppose, the other, going back to the business side, is the other thing is um, in COVID, I decided to write my own black work book. Mm -hmm. Basically, I wasn't keen on a lot of the black work books because they don't suit me visually because um, it's difficult to read the patterns, um, the way my eyes work, um, mainly due to my dyslexia. I can't sort of pull out the patterns unless they're a bit clearer. So it seemed really obvious to me. I just needed to enlarge them, make the patterns, and I highlight where the needle goes in and out with a colored square. And it's not rocket science. And it's just really visually easy to read. And, um, and that works really well. So, and then I sort of sent it to Inspirations, um, Inspirations magazine, and they, um, they picked it up and they've been really supportive. And then they encouraged me to write another one. And, you know, now it's selling in South Korea and America and Australia. I mean, it's still a self-published book. So I've, it's been a lot of learning. I've had to learn InDesign and Illustrator. I've had, you know, work out. But the book does really well. And that's, and that's something I really enjoy. So, um, yeah, I definitely think books going forward will be something I enjoy doing. I think it's it's quite fascinating what you say there about the dyslexia because I guess a lot of the time people just assume dyslexia is to do with like words and numbers and stuff but it's interesting that patterns are the challenge isn't it I guess a, a letter is effectively a pattern of symbols isn't it Yeah I mean that's why people can't spell because they can't remember the pattern of the the letters you know the order they make so I can't necessarily spell out loud but I could type using my fingers because I can remember the muscle memory of the pattern on the keyboard so I'm much better typing a word than I would be spelling it out loud um, but I mean you know I've kind of got so many things in place to uh, combat all of that I mean I was um, considered severely dyslexic when I was younger um, and I, I couldn't read very well because my eyes wouldn't follow a line of um, text they would jump down a couple of lines and then jump up so nothing made sense and so I didn't really start reading until a lot later um, and I always used a lot of audio books when I was younger, um, which I still do today. Obviously, they're much cooler today. <laughs> when you were younger, they weren't quite so cool. But uh, cassette player when I was younger. But, um, yeah, so, so I guess it's, it is that sort of, you know, when you're following, when you're stitching black work, obviously it's very easy to make a mistake um, with the needle. But at the same time, um, muscle memory kicks in and the pattern, mm. you know, you don't have to count all the time. I often say to people, you only need to count to three, five, or seven, really. Mm. <laughs> but, you know... Yeah, because that's what I was wondering, really. Black, black work is, isn't it? Because you've just got this pattern repeat, it's, you know, akin to cross-stitch, isn't it? It's a very simple one to get to grips with, and then you've just got to, I guess, know when to stop that particular version of the pattern, right? Yeah, or break it down, or, you know sort of deconstruct it so then you can sort of peter it out and feather it type thing um and then you know if you have a blank space in theory you're supposed to be able to put all the stitches in and then continue to the other side so that it's not just a blank space and then you're starting randomly um i'm sure that's not necessary i think that might be an rsn rule <laughs> that they've made up to make things harder <laughs> Uh, just controversial questions just popped into my head, but I thought I thought I'd ask it because I've seen you talk about it on Instagram. How do you feel about the back of your work? Oh well, I really like the back of my work. I mean, it's pretty neat. 
I mean, no, was that. I mean of, of all the examples to go for, <laughs> least car crashy back of her work ward goes to. But yeah, but I do like it. I think it's got its own sort of uh, texture and feel. And in some ways, you know, like when you paint, like I really love a painterly artist, you know, not someone, if I painted, it's a bit uptight. You know, I want to be free stroke. I'm, I'm just not that person with paint, you know, I find it difficult. Um, but it, it's sort of like that in a way, it's the painterly version of your work, the back of it, because it's a slightly, you know, um, abstract, organic kind of, you know, not controlled. You're allowing the thread to sit how it wants to sit type side of things. Mm. Yeah, so probably the downside of embroidery is the tightness of it at times and the controlled element. Certainly in my work anyway, I feel like, you know, um, it is, that is who I am, I suppose, and what I know to some degree or how I express myself, but it's not necessarily how I live my life. So in a way, it's a bit weird. Maybe it's the only thing I can control, so that's why I do it. Um, so I was a bit all over the shop in life. <laughs> Funny, I don't, it just popped into my head that as a random question, I think, because it's so funny. I think it's just maybe it's just something about, you know, a job well done is worth celebrating. And I guess back in the day, people were a lot more hung up on the pristine and the prim and the proper, perhaps, you know, spinning back 200 years or whatever. But it's it's oh. such a thing. I don't think modern people who start stitching necessarily think about the back of the work, but somewhere down the line, someone's going to go. Uh, the back of your work is supposed to be really good, isn't it? Like, so, like a little old lady knows somebody knows somebody or something. I do think there's a longevity to it, though. So if you've got a thread, you know, over time it will weaken. Whereas if you've got that, so if it's just strung across the back, it will just sort of hang there and weaken maybe. And that might weaken the front and change the effect on the front. Whereas if you thread it behind things and secure it, then that thread has got more chance of stability. So in a way, you're building in stability for longevity, I think, if you do a neater back. But then if you're not too worried about what's going to happen to it, then, you know, I mean, you can have these rules, but I mean, rules are there to be broken, aren't they? Uh, you know, I'm a firm believer. <laughs> you know, we learn the rules and then you do what you want with it because it's an art form. And, you know, and, and therefore the, the rules go out the window as soon as it becomes that. Um, so you can learn techniques and that's great because that can help you progress and achieve what you want to achieve. But then when it comes to making your piece, you know, because I often hear that, you know, people say, oh, I, I'm supposed to do it like this and I really wanted to do it like that. And I'm like, you do it how you want to do it. You have to live with it. It's going to be on your wall, you know. If it's going for marking or something like that, you, you need to make a decision. You either do it how you want to do it and accept that you might lose some marks or you, you can toe the line and you do it the other way. So the choice is yours. Mm, but yeah but then once toy. you get past that point of being marked you can just go gangbusters dead birds yeah. in canvas work whatever you like really yeah yeah i always regret i did a black um, a canvas piece of a girl's head it was like a fashion magazine piece and um and you know it was a really lovely blue coat and it was really um textured collar and I didn't, and it was for the RSN for grading, and I didn't want to put eyes in, but that was just a bit too weird for them. Um, but for me, that was like, oh, no, I really like her without eyes. <laughs> and then I stitched, and I just knew, you know, eyes are tricky anyway. And with canvas, you're not going to get great eyes. And they weren't amazing, um, and they ruined it, basically. And, of course, it would be difficult to unpick it and... So now I just hang on to the photo with her eyeless, you know, eyeless face. <laughs> because the real feature isn't the eyes. The feature is the colour and the feature is her bob hair. The eyes and her expression just weren't actually relevant for the picture. But um, I remember um, talking to, I think it was Danielle Clough, fiance Knowles, um, who does a lot of portraits. And I think she, and a lot of portrait artists do that. Um, Jane Sanders, Stitching in the Kitchen, you know, they always start with the eyes. So if you take that idea and then what we're saying, you're saying is if you don't start with the eyes, don't do the eyes. <laughs> it seems to be the good rule. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I have to try that. <laughs> so it feels to me like you're in a really good 
pleased with like the work that you do and the ability to make art and stuff are there are there any like challenges that you're facing at the moment in terms of like the way you do things yeah i do think um what i don't like is i don't like being on a um hamster wheel just churning things out you know because i don't i don't like that feeling uh, it feels too um regimented and to like a job and I don't like that so um, you know I have been and because I want to make more time I've been wondering about how I can divide that time up you know whether it would work if I spent six months not teaching but producing kits and things and to then have a period of teaching um, but then I'm not doing any other stitching and therefore I could do my stitching or you know trying to um find the balance where I am producing stuff that I can use commercially but I'm also uh, finding the time to do my thing as well that that is a tricky balance that and social media <laughs> generally <laughs> just all of social media with the with the courses so are all of your courses like in person you're there in the same space as the same people online yeah and is there ever, an, like, could you ever do a sort of self-medicating, you know, could you video tutorials and have those so that people can learn from you without you being in the room? Yeah, I have done one for the RSN that did go well, and I have bought a rig, small rig recently, so I've been teaching myself iMovie editing and, like, doing little mini films, mainly in the forest, actually, Um because I want to improve my website too to make it. I mean, really, I haven't been going that long actually, as a in a professional sense. So um, it's only about five years. People often think it's a lot longer. Um, I think that's just because I've done a lot of stitching. But in terms of little business, I haven't really. So I feel like a five-year period is a good time to sort of um, think. Okay, where what do I want? And actually, what that is one of the things I've been thinking about. Um, trying to video them set it up so i stitch under the camera and then provide them yeah but they're, they're, that's where i wonder whether there's like a hybrid model because it's clear that half of what people are doing is paying to be in a room with you which is going to be an amazing thing regardless but you do wonder whether some of the tutorials are whether you structure it so that you you bookend it with a session with you at the start and you at the end but in the middle you've got these self-service courses or even you have that as an option for people who don't feel like they want to be in a certain space and time because then they're still learning from you but that's like that sort of evergreen content thing isn't it yeah yeah no that's actually quite a good idea yeah try and do um a middle bit because also because it's international it's difficult with timings for people because sometimes i've done a uh, done a course which i think is really you know it's a really you know appealing design but it hasn't taken off and i think well why is that um and sometimes i think is it because of the timings i'm doing or is it because you know it's not advanced enough or is it because mm. i mean i don't think it's because it's an ugly image because i think most of them are quite cute and somebody surely will mm. like it <laughs> that's what i generally mm. think if i like it surely someone else will like it um yeah. <laughs> That's my theory on everything. I'm not very good at this myself, but do you ever sort of ask your... Because you've got an email newsletter, haven't you? And I know you, you're always sharing things. I'm even sure you shared about the prize on it at one point. That's very much. But, I mean, do you, do you have much of a back and forth with the people that you email? Um, no, I'm quite open to emails. People do email me questions. But mainly it's probably with my Stitch Club that I get the most feedback you know they they sort of i mean actually my stitch cubs like a counseling session for me they just support my ego massively <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's not necessarily the right people <laughs> <laughs> any self-doubt out there they're bolstering me up you know they're brilliant so uh, <laughs> that's sort of uh so they're sort of my um what do you call it when you have a little trial audience to test ideas out on yeah, 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 yeah. They're sort of like, they are like that. They're a test audience, aren't they? But I suppose the tr the tricky thing sometimes is then when they're also a fan club, they don't give you the criticism that you might necessarily need to kind of get them, isn't it? That's why I've got a wife. It would appear because any time yeah. I have an idea, I go to her and she goes, "No, that's dreadful." Which is kind no, of what I, you need to hear sometimes. 
one student who um, I'm very fond of, and she will always say, like, she came away to the French Alps with me, who most of them didn't know me, and um, somebody said, oh, I'm not quite sure how to do that, and I could just hear in the background constantly going, that's because she's a rubbish tutor, <laughs> and just, she's like a heckler. <laughs> just heckles me constantly. <laughs> That's what you need. Batter away constantly. What you were saying, you were saying before about like how you've had to redefine the black work pattern thing to make it easier for you. And then I wonder whether because you're now able to like self-publish your own books, if you did a black work tutorial video set that kind of accompanies that, then you're giving people those two different layers of learning, aren't you? Which is almost like a, a complete module in and of itself that you could sell to people. So they could buy the book, but if they wanted to pay a bit more, they could buy the book and the video tutorial together. And then yes. if off the back of that, they're really into it, then maybe they can come and do a live session with you at some point. It might mean you can like stretch out the frequency of your live appearances to give you a bit more breathing space. Yeah, that's true. I do find time. The thing with what I do is it's not easy to churn out quickly. Um, so again, making time is, you know, is an issue. I need to be a bit more um, disciplined. <laughs> she pulls a face. I mean, but I mean, it feels to me like you're probably quite disciplined. Or is that one of those... Like, well, actually, no, you've said yourself, you're just going to go off and do some bungee jumping from a, a bridge in Dorset in 10 minutes time or something. So maybe it's that. Well, I won't do that. One. I won't do that one. But yeah, I probably, you know, I feel like I've done this and I'll go, oh, I need to go for a walk now, you know, so yeah. rather than get yeah, with more work. I, I think I, um, I stitch in small chunks. I don't sit for hours at a time stitching. Um, so I don't work as in, I work every day rather than in, you know, three days a week, I'll stitch. And I don't know whether mm. that would be more, I'd achieve more or not doing it that way. I mean, I think sometimes if you, if you're talking about stitching from your own artistic standpoint, though, you have to go with your flow. Like we've talked about that. And we say so you can't, you shouldn't force yourself to sit in the chair a moment longer than you don't feel it because otherwise it's the wrong kind of output. But you, it sounds as though you're you're looking for more strategic, you know, balance, rebalancing the business commitments in in as much as you know. And that's where that thing of, you know, if you're saying about doing another book, if part of that process you decide to video because you'll be taking top down shots for your book anyway. So maybe you video it and take stills instead, and then you've got those two things built in as part of that process. And over time, just chip away at those, and you'll probably have something. Yeah. Because it saves you having to teach the same thing in real life over and over again, kind of, doesn't it? Then you can get down to yeah. the fun, creative bits and be in the room with people when they need it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. No, it's a, it's a good idea. I definitely, um, I definitely hope to try and do a bit more with the film because I haven't really done a lot of reels or anything like that. So I hope, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I was great with social. I'm quite, I'm quite a private person, really. Although I just. Mm my guts on this <laughs> um, <laughs> great on a one-on-one -on -one. um but you know i'm not I, you know i don't share massive amount about myself on social media so i think um you know i've sort of been a bit reluctant in the past i think i need to break it down a bit more and try but, and... but the thing is is you don't have to make yourself a celebrity like i found it quite handy to have mr x stitch as a kind of pseudonym because Mr. X stitches all magnificent and talks like this, whereas Jamie Chalmers is a lot more normal, and sometimes that's a useful tool. And yeah. so, you know, you don't have to be the face of Cloud Juno if you don't want to, even though you are. But do you know what I mean? You don't have to be, it's about me. Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably not super comfortable with that, although I think most people go, why not? <laughs> you know? Um, it's funny yeah. isn't it because like once you're warmed up you're like gangbusters like I can imagine like you say it's sitting down and doing uh, uh, but this is the thing like maybe it's like Instagram reels and stuff maybe that's not the right context whereas a Facebook live is the right context and you have to think about also like the demographics that like, I feel like Instagram I don't like to put my face on Instagram you feel like Instagram's meant to be all like polished and you know the Instagram version of events and stuff whereas even like TikTok and I'm not saying get into TikTok but like even that is now a bit more honest you get a bit more warts and all on TikTok which makes it easier yeah. to kind of sit with 
but it might be like you being the host of your weekly show on Facebook Live is the thing that kind of really because that's where your people are at as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do like the I like the bi-monthly newsletter thing. I like a bi-monthly. That works well for me because it just takes the pressure off slightly to come up. I only have to come up with six ideas rather than 12. And that just feels mm -hmm. much more doable. Although, I, you know, I can come up with the ideas, you know, it just and it, it makes it, um, you know, I've been able to maintain it and keep it going in a, a sort of similar vein. So that's that's worked really well. That's been one of the really good things I've done. Um, and that people really does, yeah, your, does your newsletter have the same format each time do you do the same kind of things each time yeah yes basically it's um, normally one article which is tenuously linked to embroidery um, I mean one of them about road signs of London <laughs> so you know like right. Red Street or um, and then I rambled on about night you know because there's a street called Night Rider um, Knight's Lane, that's it. Knight's Lane. <laughs> right. Knight's Lane. And basically, um, it made me think of Knight Rider, but it had nothing to do with Kit the mm. car. Basically, where the knights would cross over this bridge to go to their jousting competition. I mean, I love right. that. But anyway, and then there's like, if you go to Mortlake, the area of Mortlake, there's a there's a lane called Tapestry Lane, and you go down there, then there's a plaque down by the river of Mortlake, um, where, you know, the tapestries that were done by Mortlake in the sort of 1600s, that is where the factory was, the tapestry factory, so where all the Flemish came oh, over wow. to. Yeah, so, so I kind of like that sort of treasure hunt. So I send people on a bit of a treasure hunt on that one. So sometimes it's a bit random. Sometimes it's about um, specific, you know, an exhibition or something. And I'm branching out myself by getting more quotes, trying to do a little bit of an interview. I really enjoy it. It's really fun. So, uh, yeah. I suppose in some ways that does that that goes to that writing thing that you were talking about at the start as well, isn't it? It's an opportunity for you to have your own, yeah, just do a bit of a writing for people for pleasure. Yeah, exactly. And also it's really good for research, you know, it forces me to research something to keep my knowledge sort of up and fresh and, you know, and I might go to an exhibition and I just see something and then I latch onto that and then broaden it up. I mean, I think one, one newsletter I decided to write like I was Jane Austen, like, you know, in the tone of, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh what have we here kind of thing <laughs> i love it i love, I love the because sometimes like newsletters can be a bit sincere so i think if you go a bit wackadoodle on them i think that that's really good because i think it just fits in and that's clearly that's the bit of you that people love the most technical skills notwithstanding you know? yeah, yeah yeah i think they like the fact it's not a i'm not selling really it's a soft sell newsletter i'm not selling constant work at them or going come and have a discount you know i'm just sort of giving them a fun read really mm. um something they're interesting interested in which is embroidery so um yeah and it feels like that's a really good fit because that's sort of you you can use a newsletter as a sales tool but it doesn't mean you should always use you know like i quite like to send out more newsletters because if i send out a monthly one and I switched to doing a weekly one, I've gone from like 12 chances to sell a thing to 50 chances to sell a thing. But that's, I'm quite at peace with that. And mine are really short and essentially pointless. Whereas yours are a bundle of fun. And it sounds like it's a very natural, you know, part of that process. Yeah, and I do, I, you know, they are informative. I have a column down the side where I try and, you know, sum up what's going like you know like your competition or um other events that i'm doing and plus i send them in an email so i can put things into the email so you know in a roundabout way it does you know um, tell people what i'm doing really but it's just not mm, sort of yeah. it's not boring <laughs> it's definitely not boring. <laughs> well i'm a subscriber so uh, I recommend everybody signs up to newsletter dig into the surface uh, i'm going to pivot to the the important questions now now at the end, I usually ask a, what's an interesting fact that nobody knows about you? But I'm not yeah. sure that falling off a horse in Africa and being flown to a different country in Africa to get your ribs repaired could necessarily be beaten. I am yeah. also inclined to do a separate episode called, let's talk about interesting things that nobody knows about Chrissy Juno, man, and do a three-hour version of that, because I think that could totally work. 
<laughs> so I might I might just go for the other ones because I feel like we we're good. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But um because you said you did American literature, mm-hmm. do you have a favourite book? <laughs> well, um I do, but I haven't put American book in particularly. But um I did have a think about the books that I liked, and actually I think they've all got a bit of a theme, really going back to school, I liked Kez, and then I liked Call of the Wild, Jack London, and I like Life of Pi, or I like the old, I love The Old Man and the Sea, Hemingway, and they're all really, you know, um, sort of, it's basically, they're all nature-based, but sort of, you mm. know, battle elements or sort of coming to terms with, you know, uh, nature in some way, you know, sort of, I can't even describe it really, but that sort of theme really, where you're you're having a relationship with um, another living thing that isn't human and it's sort of, you know, it's a, you're having a relationship with their spirit really, um, which, you know, whether it's the spirit of an animal or, you know, the sea or, or although that old man in the sea was with, um, with a Merlin, wasn't it? Uh, or with with your, you know, call of the wild, and that's that was written from the point of view of the dog and his journey to becoming pack leader, that sort of thing. So it's sort of all, they're all kind of adventurous, really adventurous journeys which incorporate nature. Um, I did read last summer, um, which was sort of the height of when my mum had. Her sort of was, her dementia was getting worse, and I went to the beach a lot, which was a real calling for me to go and sit on the beach. And I read um, "There's an Owl and the Nightingale," and it's basically a Tudor poem, which is written or translated, I should say, by Simon um, Armitage. Is it Simon Armitage? Okay. And, Poet and it's, yeah, yeah. So he translated this. He's just, um, yeah, he's translated the poem, which sounds weird, doesn't it? Because it's from Tudor England, but there's a sample of the language, and it's just, you know, you, you couldn't read it. So it does take a lot of translating, and it rhymes. And it's basically, I'm going in an area that I don't really know, but I feel like it's like a rap. It's like a Tudor rap where they're rifting okay. with each other. And it's like the owl, you know, kind of baiting the nightingale. And, you know, they're basically abusing each other and telling each other all their worst qualities and characteristics. And it's really good. It's really good. It's really fun. And then it's illustrated by one of my favorite illustrators, which is Hicks Jenkins. And he just has amazing personal style to his work. And it's just so, so good. Um, so that's a, that's definitely a winner. That's a great little book. And I don't normally read books. Um, I couldn't focus on a novel because uh, my mind was a bit all over the place. And a poem works, you know, a long poem works really well because of the sections. And I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm at the, nearly at the end of To Kill a Mockingbird, which I never read before, and I'm enjoying that. And then my wife actually said I should read Kez. I'm kind of like, I've read plenty, but a lot of it was comic books. So now I feel like I'm taking the time to go back and read some of the classics because they're classics for a reason. I wonder whether whether there was just any other American literature that you remember as being like worth attention. Maybe if you well, didn't dig all the way through it. Miller, when I was um, studying, I read all of his plays. I really loved Arthur Miller. I mean, you know, the famous ones are Death of the Salesman or um, The Crucifix, is it? What was it? Crucible. Crucible. I can't remember. Crucible, yeah. maybe. You know, ones like that. I mean, again, a play is a bit like a poem for me. You know, the way it sort mm. of enjoy that kind of format um, when reading it and in, in your head, and you can dramatise it in your head. So, um, but yeah, I really like a lot of his work. Actually, it was Arthur Miller. So he's the one that yeah, cool. most. I will check that out. So, do you have a favourite band slash album? No, I know. I panicked when I saw that. <laughs> I texted you going, oh, my God, don't ask me about music. Um, I I don't listen to a lot of music, um, but I do listen right. to a lot of podcasts. I can tell you my favourite podcast instead, um, which might not be a surprise. It's Uncanny. Do you know Uncanny? No, go oh, on. You've got to listen to Uncanny. It's like cult listening now. <laughs> Basically, it's ghost stories, true life ghost stories by yeah. Danny Robbins. And it's so brilliant. My, a lot of 
my stitch club listen to it as well <laughs> so um and and basically it's really everyday people writing in with their ghost stories and then you know like a, a fireman or you know um a military policeman <laughs> people you just you wouldn't doubt their narrative basically and um and then having these experiences there's an amazing one a hiker going to a, a scottish bothy and the experiences of poltergeist there and then they have a skeptic and a believer they're they're um academics with phds in the paranormal and they discuss what might have come about there's a couple of series and then there's a couple of really good dramatized summer episodes and that is by far my favorite podcast at the moment <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Does that make you now? I mean, do you believe in ghosts because you've heard so many stories now? You can't not believe in them. Yeah, kind of. Um, well, I kind of believe in a spirit anyway. I believe in energy. So I often walk mm -hmm. in the forest and I, or even on the London tube, you sit there and you know someone's staring at you. How do you know that? How do you know that? It's the energy, isn't it? there's an energy so i can walk in the forest and i'll just stop dead still turn my head and there's a stag or something staring at me how did i know that <laughs> it's an energy so i think ghosts are energy <laughs> i do want to say for anybody who's listening who's not in england we we do we have thousands of stags just roaming around any wood you go into there's probably a couple of stags in there there you go. <laughs> it's like you live in an amazing forest <laughs> i thought you were going to say squirrel which is what happens around my way <laughs> just the squirrels stare at you it's like that devil squirrel they do stare. they look at me i should really i should not be eating as many nuts as i do when i take the dog out for a walk i'm just heading for trouble <laughs> so do you i mean when you're working then do you, you're listening to podcasts i guess when you're working or do you work in silence I do work in silence quite a lot, actually. I do spend a lot of my day in silence. I don't have, um, yeah, I like it. I like, um, well, I like hearing nature. I do live in quite a rural spot, so I do like hearing nature. And I guess I have a lot going on up here, kind of entertaining me. <laughs> so I, I quite like the world in my head, so I just indulge it. Um, but then I do li listen to podcasts and I do watch telly. You know, I watched telly as a kid. I've okay. stitched and watched telly ever since I was a kid. So I still watch telly and stitch. <laughs> it's like telly time. Yep, let's stitch. Do you have a favourite, like, I, I mean, normally I ask about, do you have a favourite film? But like, have you had a favourite TV show as well? That kind of? Yeah, well, I like a certain type of um, very British sitcom, I suppose it's called. But things like The Detectorist. You know, that's right oh, up my street. I love the detectress. Oh, I love that meandering kind of program as well. I like mm. White, uh, White House and Mortimer when they go fishing. Love that. Mm. Meandering. Just, you know, sitting ghosts. around. With ghosts. Did you say ghosts? Yeah. What did you say? I love ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> love ghosts. Got to be. Um, so I like that sort of program, um, but well, I love it. I love when I get the Christie, Miss Marple. I often stitch from Miss Marple or repeat of a Miss Marple because it doesn't matter if I fade out because I know what's going on. Um, but I suppose if it was more of a film, I'd like something like a Whale Rider or I like a Sleepy Hollow kind of. Pro you know that one? That one? Do you remember that one? The Johnny Depp with a phantom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ichabod Crane and Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah. So I think I like ones which are quite mythological. Yeah, but also quite natural, you know. If you go like The Old Man and the Sea, you go Sleepy Hollow, there's a lot of woods, There's you listen to Uncanny, there's a lot of ghosts, there's a thing here, spirits, animals, ghosts, spirits, animals, dead birds, spirits, animals, ghosts. I spend a lot of time, and my cat every night pretty much, I go out to the forest in the dark and he likes to do parkour. So he literally runs up all the trees, hangs there, smacking me around the head with his paws. And I'm there in the dark. I try not to put my torch on because I don't want to scare people that there might be a burglar or something in the area. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I sit in a tree with the cat while he does his thing for half an hour most nights. It, I am a bit That's weird so like that. No, <laughs> a bit no. weird. That's so good. You're such an. Uh... You're the right person in the right place. That's what you are, I think. 
Um, if people would like to follow you, if people would like to learn from you, where should they go? Well, um, Cloud Juno, so my website, cloudjuno.com, um, or Instagram, which is Chrissy underscore Juno underscore man. Um, they're, they're the only two places I'm at, really. But I'm hoping to relaunch my website soon, maybe New Year, maybe. And if people want to get your Black Workbook, where could they get that? They can buy that from me. I'm not on Amazon or anything. Um, I went and produced the book in the wrong size for Amazon, which means I have to read. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. We can have a very boring conversation about that one day because obviously I know a bit about publishing and that sort of stuff. So we can have a... <laughs> so, yeah, so just me either email or on my website. Yeah, basically. Fab. Hey, Chrissy, yeah. thanks for having a needle exchange with me. Thank you for chatting with me. It's been a real pleasure. <laughs>for joining me on another needle exchange i hope you enjoyed the show i'd love to hear from you so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange that's n-w-e-d-l dot exchange with any thoughts comments or feedback and if you want to keep up with all the news sign up to the needle exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange see you next time